uh, speaking to us, to our minds and to our hearts, and encouraging us as your people to continue to live out the life of faith. Amen. Uh, There are rhythms to life that all of us have and all of us need. Uh, We have the alternating rhythm of work and rest. Uh, We need both. Uh, If it's just work or just rest, that that is not healthy. We need both. Uh, We have the daily rhythm of being awake and being asleep. Uh, We need both to stay healthy. Uh, We have a rhythm even of breathing in and breathing out. And if you stop doing one for a long time, uh, that is not a good sign. And if both have stopped, that really isn't a good sign. And if that happens to the person next to you during this sermon, raise your hand and we will administer assistance. Just as a healthy life has certain rhythms, so does the spiritually healthy life. Uh, There is an alternating rhythm to the life of spiritual health, which we find here in Psalm 9. Uh, The rhythm is this. It is one of praise and prayer. Praise and prayer. Praise and prayer. It is a bit like breathing in and out, in and out. Praise and prayer. So Psalm 9 is a psalm of two halves. You've probably guessed it by now. Uh, Verses 1 to 12 is all about praise. And verses 13 to 20 is all about prayer. And it lays out this rhythm of spiritual health. And it's the rhythm we need if we are to keep running well in the Christian race. And it is a wonderfully positive rhythm. How impoverished is the person who has no one to praise or pray to? They are missing out. But it is also a rhythm that we need to learn. Uh, Breathing comes naturally. Uh, We do it without thinking. But the rhythm of praise and prayer is not so natural to us. Uh, It is something that we need to learn. And David in the psalm is a good teacher. So Psalm 9 is going to help us to develop this rhythm of praise and prayer. And the more we practice it, uh, the more natural it will become like breathing, and the healthier we will be spiritually. So, uh, let's get to the rhythm. Uh, Firstly then, uh, praise in verses 1 to 12. Look at verse 1. I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. Uh, As we're going to see in the verses that follow, uh, David is praising God for what God has done. It's an initiative of thanksgiving. Uh, The ESV and the RSV translations translate this verse, I will thank you, O Lord, with all my heart. So David is expressing an attitude of gratitude. And it's not something we do naturally. Uh, Just as children need to learn to say thank you, so is true also of us as adults to God. Uh, The attitude of gratitude is something that God can grow in us by his Holy Spirit. The psalm exhorts us, I will praise, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, with all my heart. As Colossians 2 verse 7 puts it, our heart should be overflowing with thankfulness to God for all his goodness to us. 
So you see, enthusiastic thanks and praise should be a mark of our spiritual lives, both individually and as a church together. And it's not just, therefore, for certain types of Christians or certain types of churches. Remember Jesus. He heals 10 lepers in Luke 17. But how many come back to thank him? Just one. Just one. And Jesus says, where are the other nine? And that is a good question. And the question we then pose to ourselves is, uh, which camp do we fall into when it comes to our expression of thanks to God? Are we in that category of one or the category of nine? How much do we thank God? Because indeed we have so much to thank Him and to praise Him for. Just think about it for a minute. Uh, Think about it materially. Uh, We have life and health. We have friends and work. We have homes. We have a stable, peaceful country. Uh, We have money. We have a privileged standard of living on the world stage. Uh, Think about it uh, spiritually. Uh, We are showered in countless spiritual blessings. We have forgiveness in Christ, inner spiritual life. The Spirit dwelling in us, guiding us, helping us. We have our Heavenly Father watching over us every day. And we have the hope of heaven. So the question is this. How often do you give thanks to God? Uh, What is the background music of our lives? Uh, Is it presumptive silence or overflowing thankfulness? Uh, Here's a challenge. How about starting each day uh, thanking God for three things and the following day they can't be the same things as the previous day? Just think, what can I thank God today? And of course that uh, song which we don't tend to sing these days but uh, count your blessings, count them one by one. I can see some of you know it. And of course the refrain is, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. There it is. The more we count our blessings and we thank God for them, the more we think, Yeah, God has been so good to me, and it changes us. Uh, Mabel is a blind, deaf, disease-ridden, cancerous old lady aged 89. Uh, She has been bedridden in a nursing home for 25 years. And when asked what she thought about as she passed her lonely days and nights, she said this, I think about Jesus, and I thank him. I thank him for how good he has been to me. He has been so good to me in my life. He's all the world to me. How incredible. A heart of thankfulness. That is somebody who has thankfulness as the background music to her life. So, did you notice what in particular David gives thanks for in this psalm? Verse 1 continues. He says this, I will tell of all your wonders. And verse 3 onwards uh, then reveals what these wonders are. And they are God's wonderful deeds of deliverance. Look at verse 3. My enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before me. At verse 5. You have rebuked the nations and destroyed the wicked. Verse 6. Endless ruin has overtaken the enemy. You have uprooted their cities. Remember who's speaking here. This is David the king. 
And David the king is thanking God for the victories that God has given him in battle. God has defeated the enemy. God has given him victory over those who have attacked God's people. God has judged the nations and saved the king and saved his people. Fast forward centuries later. And centuries later, the nations would again gather against God's ultimate king, the descendant from David. They would gather against Jesus, the Christ. And yet God would deliver him too, not from death, but by raising him actually after death. And so our thanks to God needs to be focused not just on ourselves, but also on this big picture of salvation history. Uh, Think about it. Remembrance Day, what do we do? Uh, We give thanks for our deliverance from tyranny as we remember those who sacrificed their lives to secure our freedom. That's an example of big picture thanks. And so it must be for us as Christians as well. We give thanks to God for the wonderful deeds of God of deliverance in the past, the sending of Jesus, through whom we enjoy this freedom. So we're not just to think of ourselves in thanksgiving, but also cosmically, the wonderful deeds of God expressed in the gospel, and ultimately in the death and resurrection of Christ. And did you notice one way to give expression to our thanks in this psalm? It is actually through singing. Look at verse 2. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praises to your name, O Most High. So actually, when we sing as Christians, uh, we can sing praises to God. Uh, Singing has a long biblical history. Uh, Way back in Exodus chapter 15, uh, God, of course, rescues his people through bringing them through the Red Sea. And what do they do when they get to the other side? They sing. Uh, They get out the tambourines and the instruments, and they have a real knees up, praising God fervently and ecstatically. And that's why we sing praise when we meet together here as God's people. It's what we've been doing this morning in many of the hymns we have sung. Uh, Colossians 3 verse 16 exhorts us to, and I quote, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. So you see, this should be a feature not just of when we meet together, but also in our personal lives too. Uh, Do you have good Christian music at home which you can listen to and which you can even sing along to? Uh, Maybe on your iPod or whatever MP3 device you have. Even on the way to to work. If it's on public transport, maybe you should sing discreetly in the quietness of your own heart. Uh, But whatever it be, uh, do you have a good stock of Christian music which you can use to sing to God. So, the point is this. Thanks and praise should be the background music of our lives. So, uh, we've been seeing, firstly, praising the Lord who rescues, but secondly, we also praise the Lord who rules. Uh, In verses 7 to 10, there are seven statements about the Lord, and that's what we do in praise we put our focus on God. And that is both spiritually healthy and right to do. In praise, we take the focus off ourselves and we lift our eyes to God. 
And that gives us perspective to our lives and puts everything in context. It's interesting, the first four statements about God here are all about God judging. Look at verse 7. Uh, the Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He will judge the world in righteousness. He will govern the people with justice. Because God is just, God judges. Look at verse 7. Sorry, we just looked at verse 7. Uh, his everlasting role uh, in verse 7 contrasts with the everlasting ruin of, of his enemies in verse 6. And indeed, his past judgments in history anticipate his final judgment at the end of history. Uh, Acts chapter 17 picks up on the language of Psalm 9 verse 8. Look at Acts 17 verse 31. For he has set a day uh, when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. Speaking, of course, of Jesus. Isn't that striking? Uh, God's judgment is something that we are to praise God for. Uh, God's wonderful deeds for which we give thanks and praise are deeds of judgment. Now, Judgment is not something to be embarrassed about. Uh, God's judgment is necessary for salvation. If you like, uh, salvation and judgment are two sides of the same coin, and you can't have one without the other. Think again of Remembrance Sunday. Uh, what are we actually giving thanks for? Uh, salvation from tyranny. But the salvation could only come with the defeat of the tyrant. And the same is true spiritually. The salvation of God's people, at the renewal of the universe, can only come with the defeat of all of God's enemies. And so we give thanks and we praise God for his judgment. That judgment is not a skeleton in the closet for Christians. But the Lord who judges in righteousness is also a stronghold for his people, for those who take refuge in him. Look at verse 9. Uh, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Uh, those who know your name will trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Stronghold, of course, is a place of safety, a place which is fortified, a place of security and protection. And this is what the Lord is for those who take refuge in him. He's a refuge from the judgment, and he's a refuge in times of trouble in life. Uh, one of my first dates with Tracy, I was uh, taking her to the opera house, and uh, just as we left our house to make our way back to the car, uh, lo and behold, a huge storm broke over us and started raining torrentially, at which point we had to run for our lives and we eventually found a doorway under a department store which we could take shelter in as it rained and it hailed. And boy, it was quite a fiery first date, or should I say wet. But nevertheless, we were very thankful uh, for the shelter, for the refuge from the storm. 
And that is what the Lord is to those who take refuge in him. A shelter in the storm of life. So, the first part of the rhythm of the healthy Christian life we're seeing is praise. And there is so much to praise and to thank God for every day. He is the Lord who rescues. He's the the Lord who rules. And a life of praise is also a life of witness to other people. Uh, Praise overflows into evangelism. Look at verse 11. Uh, Sing praises to the Lord, enthroned in Zion, proclaim among the nations what he has done. So, uh, praise should be a part of our daily life, both individually, but also corporately together as a church. However life is going, we have so much to praise God for, so much to thank him for every day. And that should be the background music to our life. So we've seen the first half of the psalm is all about praising God. And the second half, uh, then there is this sudden gear change. Uh, We move from a a transition from praise to petitionary prayer. Look at verse 13. O Lord, see how my enemies persecute me. Have mercy and lift me up from the gates of death. Uh, David is no longer singing for joy. He is crying out for help. And you see, that is the other healthy heartbeat to the Christian life. It's not just praise, it is also prayer. And they should alternate just like breathing in and out. And in the first half of the psalm, David praises God for past deliverance, and now he prays for future deliverance. Uh, It seems that suddenly another problem has come in crashing in on his life. Another crisis has broadsided him. And he cries out to God. And when we reflect on our own lives, is that often not how life works? Uh, Life has both ups and it has downs. We're overflowing with thanks one moment and then we are plunged into some fresh crisis the next. Uh, Did you notice the two sets of gates? Look at verse 13. It says, Have mercy and lift me up from the gates of death, that I may declare your praises in the gates of the daughter of Zion and there rejoice in your salvation. The gates of death, the gates of God's city. And we live at both gates. At one moment we're rejoicing in the gates of God's city, and the next we're crying out for help at the gates of death. And that's life. That's life. So you see, prayer needs to be part of our daily rhythm. That prayer is a sign of good spiritual health. And that is, if we acknowledge our need and we cry out to God for help. I've met some Christians who latch on to the praise half of this psalm, but ignore the second half. I've met some Christians who think that uh, godliness means that they should always make out that everything is fine all the time and that they have no problems. Uh, You say, how are things to them? And they say, eh, they're great. But that is not always true for them. And it's also unrealistic and it's ungodly. It's actually unchristlike. To maintain that facade 
not acknowledging that sometimes life is hard and we need to cry out to God. And you see, it's in this sense that Jesus was just like David. Look at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. We need to do the same. We need God's help as his people. All is not well all of the time. And look at, in the psalm, how God's people are described. They're described firstly as the oppressed, secondly as the afflicted in verse 12, in verse 18 as the needy. So God's people in this world, when we look at God's people, they often appear to be on the wrong side of history. They're oppressed, they're afflicted, they are needy. Their lives often are a struggle. Uh, They are oppressed by the world, that is, our anti-Christian society. They are oppressed by the flesh, that is, our anti-Christian nature. And they are oppressed by the devil, that is, the anti-Christian nemesis. And it's in the midst of such a world that we need to be people of prayer. Uh, We should be praying each day for ourselves, uh, for others, and asking others to pray pray for us. And we also need to remember the big picture as we did in our time of prayer together this morning. Praying for God's people worldwide, especially the persecuted church. It's not just, of course, what we do in November when we remember the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. It needs to be on our agendas throughout the year. So, we have to pray then for fresh deliverance to cry out for help. But finally, we're also to pray for final judgment. Uh, In the first half of the psalm, we gave thanks for judgment. And now we learn we are to take it a step further. We're actually to pray for God's judgment. Uh, Now, this is rather strange initially, because it's rather countercultural. People, of course, want world peace but they don't want the judgment it will take to get there. And yet we are to pray for God's judgment. We're called to pray that God will finally defeat his enemies and fix the brokenness of this world. Praise and prayer for judgment. We're going to think more about that at the end of January when we look together at Psalm 10. But this involves the big picture perspective on life again. And this is the focus here in verses 15 to 20. It's this global emphasis on the world and the nations. Look at verse 17. Uh, The wicked return to the grave, all the nations that forget God. In verse 19, David concludes by praying for God to rise up in judgment. Uh, Verse 19, Arise, O Lord, let not man triumph Let the nations be judged in your presence. That should be our prayer too. Arise, O Lord, come in judgment and salvation. Fix this broken world. Do you realize we pray for that in the Lord's Prayer when we say, Your kingdom come. 
We're praying for God to come in judgment and to fix the brokenness of this world. It's actually what we find in the last but one verse of the Bible. Because there, uh, the Lord says, I am coming soon, to which God's people respond, Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. I don't know if you've seen this film yet, but uh, Arrival uh, is a sci-fi film released in 2016, uh, starring Jeremy Renner and Amy Adams. Uh, One day, out of the blue, uh, 12 alien spacecraft, huge pods, as you can see, arrive at different locations around the world. Uh, Amy Adams is cast as an expert linguist, and she is sent on the unenviable task of learning their language and trying to communicate with these aliens. And the key question that the authorities want her to build up to is asking this, what is your purpose on Earth? And of course, the different countries of the world where these pods have touched down are understandably nervous. Have they come to help us or to harm us? Well, I won't spoil the story by telling you what happens. You'll have to see it for yourself if you're not yet. But during Christmas time, we have just celebrated the arrival of another alien visitor who touched down in first century Palestine. He didn't descend in a giant pod, but in a manger, so to speak. And the same question is a good one to ask. What is your purpose on earth? And years later, the man himself tells us, John 3, 17, he says this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. What a relief. The alien visitor didn't come with hostile intentions. Instead, he comes to become one of us and to become like us, oppressed and afflicted and needy and to suffer the same judgment of God's enemies. And he, of course, was then raised from death and he returned to heaven. And when he comes back, this time it will be a different story. He will come back in judgment. Uh, Vision in Revelation chapter 19 pictures him then not as a baby in a manger, but as a king on a horse. And it says this in Revelation 19 verses 11 and 14. With justice he judges and makes war. The armies of heaven were following him. And so, of course, the challenge to people everywhere is to ensure that they are on the right side of this king when he returns. In the psalm, there are two sets of people. On one side, you have the king and his oppressed, afflicted people. And on the other side, you have those who are not submitted to the king. They are classed as God's enemies, the nations set against God. And the question the psalm poses uh, indirectly is this. With whom should people line up? Which side should they choose? And at the moment, it looks like the king and his people are on the wrong side of history. But when the king returns, the tables will be turned. When the king returns, he will conquer. And so people need to choose wisely now in the light of that future victory. They should be wise to get on his side and to take refuge in him and make him their stronghold. And for those of us who have done that, 
we then live out lives which represent this daily rhythm of life. It's this psalm's rhythm of praise and prayer. It's the daily rhythm which is a healthy Christian life. And it's the rhythm that Christ himself lived during his days on earth. James chapter 5, verse 13 says this. If is any of you in trouble, he should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing praises to God. So, however life is going, we need to be turned to God to be orientated towards him in praise and prayer. There are seasons in life and prayer, when prayer is especially needed when we're in trouble. And there are seasons in life when praise is especially appropriate when we're on top. But it is also to be true in every day, no matter what the season be. At this rhythm is a good and healthy rhythm. It's one like breathing, in and out, praise and prayer. And it's one we cultivate with the help of God's Spirit and His Word. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, uh, was a, an insightful psalm revealing to us uh, the heart of your King David uh, who lived out this rhythm of praise and prayer. Help us, we pray, to be more deeply thankful to you for all your blessings to us. Help us to be humble in prayer, uh, to be people who acknowledge our need and cry out to you as part of that daily rhythm of life, praising you and praying to you, we ask. So please, we pray this year, help us to increase in our spiritual health, uh, to remain spiritually healthy, uh, to be breathing in and out, praise and prayer, we pray. Amen.